was on my, I was at the doctor's office for my annual physical. It was about this time, and I was supposed to get a shot, like a vaccine. I was really stressing out about that. I have a fear of shots, um, and my doctor tells me that I need to go to Johns Hopkins because I might have diabetes, and I have no idea what she's talking about. Just I'm really scared because I think I'm terminally ill or something crazy like that. So my dad and I go down to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, and the doctors are like, yeah, your blood sugar's really high. We think you have type 1 diabetes. So for the next three days, I'm stuck at the hospital, and I'm learning, getting all this information thrown at me about this disease that I've pretty much never heard of, um, or at least only in the abstract. And when I get home after that third day, I'm just looking around my room, and I think to myself, wow, I'm pretty much the same, but also I'm entirely different. My life is entirely different, and I honestly have no idea how I'm going to move forward. Welcome to Health Stories, interviews inside the healthcare system. I'm Dr. Nicole Deffenbaugh, Clinical Communications Specialist, and I'm delighted to be joined um, with Tess and she is going to be talking about taking, being the backseat driver to type one diabetes. So welcome to the podcast, Tess. Thank you so much. So you are our first um, teenager to be on the show, so that's great. We have a, a representation here for our younger listeners and for people who may have um, children or know somebody who is younger because uh, type 1 diabetes is fairly um, prevalent, most often diagnosed with uh, children, people who are younger, so it's great to have you on the show. And um, the backseat driver title came from you, so I wondered if you'd tell me a little bit about why you feel type 1 diabetes, um, that you're the backseat driver to this. Well, um, I think that I kind of feel that way because type 1 diabetes is sort of always around, even when I don't want it to be. Um, for example, there are a lot of things I want to do, like I like to go exercise, but sometimes my, like one time I was at the gym and I was on a high, but my I check my meter and my blood sugar is plummeting, and so I actually have to stop and sit in the corner and drink a juice box and wait 15 minutes until my blood sugar comes back up. And other times, if I'm at a party and all my friends are having a great time, but I sometimes have to step aside and check my blood sugar. Or actually, one time I was in a concert. I love to sing, so I'm in the Peabody Children's Choir, and we were in our last, second to last song, something like that, and I feel like really bad, so I step off to the side, I check my blood sugar, and lo and behold, it is very low. So I actually had to sit out for the rest of the song and maybe the, uh, the other one as well. And that's the first time that's ever happened to me. I've never passed out on stage because of heat or anything. So it was quite a new experience to have to miss what I love, singing, and that was because of diabetes. 
In your opening uh, story, you had said you thought you might have like a terminal illness or something. You didn't know anything about diabetes. And so um, what was it like being diagnosed with something that you knew nothing about? Um, it was honestly just shocking. That was, That's probably the best word. Um, like I said, I was at my doctor's office to get a vaccine, a, a vaccine and I do have a very large fear of needles. Um, so when I went to the hospital and found out that for the foreseeable future, I would have to take at least three shots a day, um, you could probably say that it felt like a terminal illness, even if it wasn't. Um, so it was really, it was really weird having all this information just thrown on me in the span of 72 or so hours. Um, my doctors were trying to educate me so I could count carbs correctly, so I could give myself my own shots, and I didn't start with that. Um, my parents had to give me shots for the first maybe three months of my having this condition. I thought that it would be much longer, but thankfully I now use a pen so for those who don't know, there's basically three types of insulin dispension for a diabetic, a type 1 diabetic. There's syringes, um, there's a pen, which is what I use, and there's a pump. I believe most people use a pump because you don't have to stick yourself with a needle every uh, three times a day, which I personally... If you'd asked me back then when I was first diagnosed, I would have been all over that. The problem for me with a pump is that you have to, it, you change your site every three days. So, and I have something similar to a pump. It's um, on my stomach and it checks my blood sugar for me. So I don't have to stick my finger and draw blood, which was also very painful at first. Um, still kind of is. Um, and the thing I wear now that checks my blood sugar, it's called a Dexcom or a CGM, Constant Glucose Monitor. And that I only have to change my site every 10 days, but still the needle is a lot larger than the regular pen needles I use, and it's very painful to put in. So I figured that I would just rather stick with that and use the pen needles, because after a while I've gotten used to it. Um, the, it doesn't hurt as much as it did originally, which I'm very grateful for. It's just listening to you, I'm, I'm, um, I'm thinking about how you're only 16. Uh, well, first of all, how long have you had type 1 diabetes? Um, I was diagnosed when I was 11, going on 12, so I believe this oh, is my okay. fifth year. Yeah, okay, so you've already had it for a while. And just listening to you how knowledgeable you sound about all of the different equipment and the types of pens and I mean just this the medical jargon that sort of just rolls off your tongue and, and your knowledge about this um, and thinking back what was it first like within that first month after you were diagnosed how did it change um, school and your lifestyle and, and your friends what was what was that like um actually I have a perfect example for that um, our middle school uh, we go on well, I'm in high school now, obviously, but in middle school, we went, again, I was in choir, and every year we went on a trip in 
spring to Hershey Park, mm-hmm. and that was called Music in the Parks. So we would sing, we would compete, and then we would go hang out at the theme park for a few hours. So at that point, I still was getting used to diabetes. I wasn't giving myself my own shots. So my parents um, organized it that they would drive up and meet me in the park, and they could help me with my shots for dinner time. So I hang out, I'm having a great time, and we get to dinner, and they're there, and they give me my shot. And it's all right, I guess. It's still kind of weird, though, because even in middle school, I didn't really want to be dependent on my parents. I wanted to be cool like my other friends. I didn't want to have them there. And then on the way home, I drove home with my parents instead of going home on the bus with everyone else. Um, We were eating caramel corn. And Mm. my dad was like, here's the deal. You can have the caramel corn if you give yourself your own shot. And I agreed because I was thinking I should be able to do this. It's just a psychological thing, right? So I'm in the car. I'm eating the caramel corn. And I go to take my shot. And I just completely break down I'm like I can't do this I'm sorry and so um we pull over and he has to do it for me and then I I think in that moment I was like I have no idea how I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life how am I ever gonna get to that point where I can do this for myself and now that I am there, um, once I got there, the pens, the pens helped a lot. At this point, I was still using syringes, and mm. I think it's just the length of the needle that really bothers me. The smaller needle, um, it's so much better, I can't even tell you. Uh, it, it barely goes into the skin, honestly. So now that I'm there to the point where I can do it by myself, it honestly doesn't even, it feels like a no-brainer me it's something back to the backseat driver thing it's there but it's it's there nagging but I can almost ignore it if I try hard enough and and I love the part where you're talking about wanting to be independent and so initially depending on your parents to help you and so badly wanting to be able to um, really address your illness and and navigate um, or I'm sorry manage your illness on your own um, I'm wondering about, since the podcast is about navigating through the healthcare system and being that you're in school, what has it been like for you to take your medication and um, try to, to navigate through the academic healthcare system of sorts? What, that's, what has that been like? Well, um, for the most part, it's been all right. Um, my nurses at both middle school and high school um, they're clearly very well-meaning. It's kind of hard, though, to help them understand that I want to separate myself a little bit from the nurse's office. Like, when I was first diagnosed, I would go to the nurse's office every lunch period, and at first they would give me shots, but then once I learned to do it myself, I would do it. And really, that was the marker that I wanted to be separate. Um, once I could do it myself. I was like, I don't, I don't really need the school nurse's office very much anymore. So when I got to high school, my nurse wanted me to come in. She wanted to check in with me at lunch 
pretty much every day. So my parents and I worked on getting um, papers from my endocrinologist to say that I could be independent and I could manage by myself. Um, but my nurse, and I'm not trying to say anything not kind about her. She's a very nice woman. I just, it was kind of difficult for me to separate myself from the diabetes. I wanted to, I, I wanted to, her to understand that I could do it on my own and I wanted to do it on my own because especially now that I'm in, I'm a junior and I'm looking into colleges and all that, uh, it's getting more um, necessary for me to manage my own diabetes and it's kind of hard when I'm in school and my nurse is like, just come in, we'll, we'll manage you, it's okay, you don't have to do it. And I'm saying, but no, I do have to do it. I'm going to be out in the real world soon and I'm gonna have to manage this all my own. And isn't that what high school is supposed to do, help you prepare for college, help you become more independent? If you're supposed to be more independent in your schoolwork, then I should be more independent in my health as well. Mm -hmm. Are you excited about going to college? Um, in regards to diabetes, I'm not so worried about it. Um, recently, I've started ordering my own supplies. Um, especially like the Dexcom, um, my needles, my insulin. Uh, now that I can drive, I've gone to the pharmacy and picked up prescriptions on my own before. And so all that preparation is making me feel a lot better about the transition from high school to college. Um, I actually just recently went to a seminar. Um, it was kind of like a teen group thing. Um, it was through the JDRF. So that's a great resource, um, the JDRF, these teen summit things. They're, it's great for kids and parents. Um, What's JDRF stand for? Oh, of course. Um, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Thank you. And they um, do walks, so you can walk for diabetes. They do um, national summits, ours in Maryland. Uh, we went to one recently and they have three different age groups so there's like the really young kids because you can get diabetes at a surprisingly young age um then there's the middle group and then there's the teen group so we all sat around they invited in a panel of college students with type 1 diabetes to talk about how to um, manage parties how to manage finding uh getting your um medical supplies, like I mentioned before, and that talk um, really also boosted my confidence about going to college with this disease. Nice, excellent. So tell me, I, I, I want to transition into the part um, about offering advice and tips for others, and I thought I'd, I'd form it as um, the question of why, why did you want to be on this podcast? So I thought this podcast would be a good opportunity to kind of share my story and help, like I said, diabetics and non-diabetics be more educated and um, kind of understand about something that I'm, I don't think a lot of people 
really understand very well. I don't really, I don't even understand it very well, and I have it. <laughs> so, what would what would you like to tell our listeners, especially other kids and teens with type one diabetes? What would you like them to know? Um, I would like them to know that you should become independent as soon as possible. Because I know it's scary, but it'll help. It'll help so much. Um, it's really hard when you... It's really hard to be a teenager, especially when your friends and uh, your co- your teachers, your school nurse, your parents, family members, they're all trying to help you. But in the end, they're, they're helping somewhat, but it's a little bit harmful as well just to think that you're you don't want to be reliant on all these people of course you want a support system you that's my other thing you definitely want a support system i mentioned those um group uh summits those are amazing i only do those once a year but um if you can get it more than once a year there's plenty of options i'm sure even um, on the JDRF website, if you go to your chapter, you can find tons of activities for teens, for people going off to college, for younger, um, younger than teens. Um, so you want a support system, but you want to be independent as well. So you don't want to have, you don't want to let, you don't want to enable your, um, support system to do everything for you so you're gonna you should feel like every other teen like you don't want to teens don't want to rely on their parents um they want to be able to drive themselves places they want to be able to um, buy themselves things sometimes (laughs) uh and it's the same thing for being a type 1 diabetic you don't want to rely on your parents to give you shots because then you can't go anywhere without your parents You don't want to rely on your parents to always buy your medication because what are you going to do when they're not there anymore? If you go to an out-of-state college like I'm planning to, my parents are going to be a phone call away, but that's kind of far. Um, It's not like they could drive up here and buy me my medicine for me. Um, Of course, communication makes that a little easier, but... Personally, I want to be able to do those things for myself. I don't want people making me dependent. Like, I want to be independent. <laughs> I can't stress that enough. Um, and I, I hope that other diabetics want to be independent as well. Um, but, so yeah, advice. <laughs> In summary, um, try to do it yourself, but... At the same time, don't go it alone, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I I have a tough question I kind of want to ask you, and I think this, um, I don't know if anyone's ever asked you this before, but what advice would you have for um, other parents who are listening um, and thinking about how they might be scared about thinking about their child going away? Um, What what advice would you have for them about um, recognizing that it can be scary um, for a child to leave or just caring for a child with this with this illness? Um, I actually have a good example for that as well. Um, I was listening to another podcast 
and they were interviewing a man who was blind, but um, I think he was on the news for riding a bicycle blind or something like that, something miraculous to us nor not blind people. Um, but his whole story was about how a blind person can do anything I mean, anything that a non-blind person can do, it's just about society's perception of you. So if somebody thinks you can't do something, it's the Pygmalion effect, um, you're not going to be able to do it. So uh, it's the same thing, I think, in my case. Um, If somebody thinks that I can't take care of myself, then gradually I will be able to take care of myself less and less. Whereas if I'm pushed, like... um, my parents did in the very beginning, which I didn't necessarily appreciate then, but I really do appreciate now. Um, if you're pushed, kind of like a baby bird, uh, you have to learn to fly at some point. So, um, yeah, my advice would be don't be scared to let your kids do it themselves. Um, just like you shouldn't be scared to let your kids go off to college on their own. You shouldn't be scared to let your kids do take care of themselves. Um, you, we want our, I think most parents want, um, their kids to be able to succeed in life. I, I think that's the goal. And, um, if you want your type one diabetic to succeed, you should help them be able to succeed on their own. Cause in the end, everybody has to do something on their own at some point. And I think, personally anyway, I'm much happier when I can, um, when I have my own uh, snacks for my blood sugar. Uh, I don't have to run to the nurse's office and say, oh, my blood sugar's low, can I have some glucose tabs? I'm like, nope, I got my juice box right here. And and, um, I'm happy when my parents don't have to check on me because they know that my A1C um, has been great lately, and they know that I'm checking my um, Dexcom regularly, and they trust me to do all that. So I think that if, as a parent, if you can come to some kind of compromise with your diabetic, that you can have some sort of mutual trust. I think that goes a long way. Um, that's what I have with my parents. They trust that I'm doing what I need to and of course they check in like good parents every once in a while (laughs) they're like hey how's your blood sugar today um I actually got grounded one time for not properly checking my blood sugar and I um I think it was because I uh didn't take a shot for some candy I had at a party and next thing I know my blood sugar is skyrocketing so I got in trouble for that, and I learned from it, and my parents let me learn from it because they trust that I'm going to do that. So I think that as a parent, it's important to just try to find a middle ground between helping your kids on this journey of diabetes, but like also letting them help themselves. Yeah, so I'm, I, and that's excellent advice. A little autonomy, a lot of trust, and some good communication can go a long way. Um, do you have any advice for um, clinicians, anybody who's treating those with diabetes type 1? 
from your experiences that you would like to offer? Um, I think, honestly, I haven't really thought about it that much. Um, I figure they're the endocrinologists. They maybe know more than I do, but at the same time, when I say that, it sounds kind of weird because how can a doctor who sees me once a, or once a quarter know more about my diabetes than I do? Um, so I think clinicians or endocrinologists should um, probably, I think the best for me anyway, the best um, way they could help would just continue uh, giving advice and continue providing resources for people with, uh, especially kids with type 1 diabetes, give me pamphlets about um, camps that are diabetes related, um, which goes back to having support. Um, sometimes in your immediate community, you're not going to have those people who have type 1 diabetes who know what you're going through. So it's really nice to make friends outside the community your immediate community and um especially now that everyone has phones um you can text about if you're having a long day and you're like oh my blood sugar has been so whack today um your immediate friend group you might not have another person in there with type 1 diabetes i know i don't um so it's nice to make friends at these camps or these summits that uh, do have type 1 diabetes because it's specifically for type 1 diabetics and siblings of type 1 diabetics. So it might be nice uh, to shoot your new diabetes friend a text and be like, oh, my blood sugar has been so wacky today. And they'll be like, oh, I know, that was me a couple days ago. It's the worst, right? And you guys can commiserate about that. And you can have an extra backboard for your feelings when it's more than just hormones and usual teenage stress. Mm -hmm. Like a co-pilot going back to the backseat driver, right? So now you have a co-pilot driving yeah. your, your diabetes. I like that. Um, any final resources? You had mentioned the JDRF. Is there anything else that's been helpful that um, either teens or, or parents might, might find useful? Um, oh, again, yeah, the JDRF is great. Um, I think... Honestly, uh, if you just do a quick little Google search for um, diabetes uh, resources in your area, I'm a, well, type 1 diabetes, make sure to put that in there. Um, it'll, I'm sure you'll come up with great things. I don't, me in specific, I haven't um, done much of that Googling myself only because I feel like for myself, it, those yearly summits are enough in the moment. But maybe for somebody who is newly diagnosed, um, they might want a weekly thing almost. Um, so I think if you just do a Google search, uh, you're bound to find many things. And because um, everybody needs support, whether they get it once a year, they get it once a day. <laughs> Everyone needs support from somebody who understands what they're going through. Excellent. And that's exactly what you did for us today, Tess. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And for those of you who are listening, we invite you to join us again next week um, as we come to the end of our season of health stories. 
Remember, um, reminder that we are on Facebook. You can like us there. We are on Twitter at Stories Health, and there is a blog, slash blog So thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to having you join us again next week. This is Nicole Deffenbaugh with Health Stories.